So, it's in Luke chapter 23, verse 50. Now there was a man called Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb out in the rock, cut in the rock rather, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day he raised, be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. It's often pointed out not least by the Apostle Paul in the Bible, that if Jesus did not rise from the dead, the Christian faith is a foolish fantasy. However, if the resurrection of Jesus did happen, then Christianity is true. The resurrection confirms his life message and that his death on the cross has paid for our sin once and for all. I can stand at the graveside and promise life beyond the grave. Christ is alive and the evidence is overwhelming. Here are some of the reasons we can be so sure. Firstly, Jesus predicted his resurrection. Secondly, the Old Testament prophesied it. Thirdly, the tomb was empty. If Jesus' enemies wanted to silence his disciples, all they had to do was produce a body. And they couldn't. Fourthly, many people saw the resurrected Christ. They saw his face, touched him, heard his voice, and watched him eat. Fifthly, the lives of the disciples were revolutionized. Though they fled and even denied Christ, 
at the time of his arrest. Later, they feared no one in their proclamation of the risen Christ. The resurrection was the central message of the early church. The church grew based on the unwavering conviction that Christ had risen and was the Lord of the church. And sixthly, men and women today testify that the power of the risen Christ has transformed their lives. We know that Jesus is alive, not only because of the historical and biblical evidence, but also because he has miraculously touched our lives. So we're dealing tonight with the most important claim in the Bible. If the resurrection is true, Christianity is true. So I want to show you two important points. A real grave and an empty grave. Firstly then, a real grave. Chapter 23, verse 50. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. It always impresses me how God has his people at the right place at the right time. We could look around the various departments of the church and see how God gives the right people again and again. And it's like that with Joseph of Arimathea. He's a member of the council. So when he picks up the phone to Pilate's secretary, he gets a hearing. But not only is he a member of the council, he's good and upright. He did not agree with the decision to crucify Jesus. He's a genuine follower of God. He's waiting for God's kingdom to come, just as we are. And he's suitably wealthy to take responsibility for Jesus. He only has a short window between the death of Jesus and the beginning of the Sabbath. So he needs a team of servants. He needs to own a grave. Verse 52, going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath, was about to begin. So Joseph had to organize that in two and a half hours or so before the Sabbath began at six o'clock. He was God's man for this moment. This is all the more striking when we remember that virtually all Jesus' disciples had run away. Joseph is impressive. We know he was human in John 19.38. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. It was understandable that he feared the Jewish authorities. Look what they did to Jesus. But now, Joseph has his moment. He comes out into the open 
as a follower of Jesus. And the result of this, also in John 19, is that Nicodemus comes out as a follower of Jesus too. He'd previously come to Jesus by night because he was afraid of the Jews. Nicodemus was also a member of the Jewish ruling council. Nicodemus provides the initial spices and perfumes to anoint Jesus' body. Nearly all of Jesus' disciples have run away. But the women have more courage. Verse 55. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. But they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. That's all very interesting, even inspirational. Here are brave followers of Jesus who are committed to him to the end, even though the cause is apparently lost. But there's another reason why Luke has included this. He wants us to know that Jesus really was buried. He really was dead. He really was buried. The women saw that he was buried in verse 55. One of the obvious heresies in Christianity is the belief that Jesus didn't really die. He just went unconscious and then in the cool of the tomb he recovered. He somehow got the grave clothes off. He managed to stand up and walk despite having just been crucified. He managed to roll away, roll away the to tombstone. He managed to walk off with the disciples. It's ridiculous. And from the earliest times, Christians have insisted he really did die. He really was buried. He really was raised from the dead. One of the earliest Christian creeds one of the earliest Christian sayings is found in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. This creed is quoted here by the Apostle Paul who met the risen Christ on the Damascus Road and who was personally transformed by the risen Christ from being a murderer to being totally loving and self-sacrificial. So a real grave. But secondly, an empty grave. I wonder what your instinctive reaction is to talk of an empty grave. I mean, imagine you go up to the Wilbury Hill Cemetery in Letchworth and you go to the grave of your loved one and the body isn't there. What would you think? You'd have a terrible shock. You'd probably think someone had stolen the body. Which is what Jesus' followers initially thought. 
To be clear, the claim which is being made here is that Jesus came back to life, left the grave clothes behind. God moved the stone away using angels, and Jesus went on fully human, fully alive, so that there is a man in heaven called Jesus, who incidentally represents us, prays for us to God the Father, praying for us as one who knows what it's like to be human. When I was a student, I went through a period of doubt about all this. I was helped by a book called Christianity, A Ready Defence by Josh McDowell. Bernard has also written a helpful book called Cure for Life, which also goes over the evidence for why we can believe in the resurrection accounts. Bernard cites Lord Littleton, who was once Attorney General and three times Lord Chancellor in the 19th century. Littleton said, I know pretty well what evidence is, and I tell you that such evidence as that for the resurrection has never been broken down yet. Thomas Arnold, professor of history at Oxford and a specialist in the Roman period, Arnold said, I've been used for many years to studying the histories of other times and to examining and weighing the evidence of those who have written about them. And I know of no one fact in the history of, of mankind which is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort to the understanding of a fair inquirer than the great sign God has given us that Christ died and rose from the dead. I'd encourage you to read Cure for Life and go through the evidence for yourself. Let's look into chapter 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Now this has the ring of truth. Because if you're making this story up, you wouldn't choose women as your primary witnesses. Because a woman's testimony was not valid in a court of law. Sorry, ladies. I'm afraid Jesus lived in times of great gender inequality. But this is evidence that the account is true. If you are lying, you wouldn't tell it this way. Well, what do the women find? Verse 2. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. One ancient manuscript of Mark's Gospel adds, that this was a stone which 20 men could not roll away. Furthermore, the tombstone was formally sealed by stretching a cord across the stone, fixing both ends with clay, which were stamped with the Roman governor's insignia. A Roman guard then protected the tomb, probably a standard guard of 16 soldiers. The breaking of a Roman seal was automatically investigated and those responsible would be punished by crucifixion upside down. And yet, verse 2, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. 
But here's the amazing part, verse 3. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Can you imagine being confronted with all this? Verse 6. Remember how he told you, while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Jesus had repeatedly prophesied his death and resurrection, but the followers of Jesus hadn't understood him. Verse 8. Then they remembered his words. Spiritual truth, Bible truth, can only be understood when God opens our eyes to it. That's why Sam prayed before we looked at the Bible. God has to open our eyes as we study his word. It's the same when we study the Bible at home. We must always pray and ask God to give us understanding. Well, what would you do next? Verse 9. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. Not a cricket team, not a football team, the eleven remaining apostles of Jesus. Judas has already killed himself. And the women speak to the other disciples of Jesus. How do you think the disciples reacted? Verse 11. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Again, this has the ring of truth. Dead people don't walk out of their graves. People in Jesus' day knew this. They weren't primitive, simple people. They understood about life and death. And yet, these first followers of Jesus would go on to give their lives for their conviction that Jesus rose from the dead. If it was just a lie, would they be prepared to die for it? No. And Peter has to find out the truth, verse 12. He got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. So a real grave and an empty grave. I wonder what you make of it. In 1 Corinthians 15, 6, the Apostle Paul, as part of his argument for the resurrection, points out that on one occasion, Jesus appeared to more than 500 Christians at the same time. And he says to the Corinthians that many of these are still alive, and that they can go and ask the people concerned. Just a short time later, 
the Apostle Peter, now convinced and having met the risen Christ, Peter would preach on the day of Pentecost and about 3,000 people turned to Christ and were publicly baptised. The Christian movement burst into life on the conviction that Jesus was alive. He is alive. He has conquered sin and death and hell. And so the greatest question this evening is, is he your saviour? Would you like Jesus to be your king? Are you living for him? Are you serving him? Are you pleasing him? Are we telling others about him? Do you have confidence as you face up to your own death that Jesus is risen? He has conquered death. And so we can know that we're going to heaven, that we'll be part of the new creation, the new perfect world when Jesus returns and that we'll enjoy new perfect resurrection bodies ourselves glorified, sin-free, suffering-free, enjoying God forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the real grave in which Jesus was laid is now empty because Jesus rose from the dead we thank you for the wonderful resurrection hope that this gives us. Thank you that we too will be resurrected if we're trusting in Christ to enjoy perfect resurrection bodies for all eternity, free from sin and free from suffering. Lord, strengthen us in our own convictions about the resurrection. And help us to share this hope with all that we possibly can. For Jesus' sake. Amen.